Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to update you guys that we just announced Starting Small Summit 2024. We launched Starting Small Summit in 2022 with an amazing panel of founders. We flew in for a live event that carried on to 2023, and now we're excited to do our third annual event this year in the Midwest. So make sure to click the link in this description so you can find more information on that and find more about our speakers and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by James Julius of Our House, offering private member and fine dining services. From cutting edge marketing strategies to intricate algorithms, James emphasizes how Our House is here to elevate their partner property's visibility. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by James Julius of Our House. James, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So to start out, I'd like to go back to your upbringing. Um, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? So I grew up in London, um, if you can tell by the accent. Um, lived there my whole life, had a great upbringing. Um, lived in pretty much the city center um, with two older sisters and my parents uh, and stayed in London up until sort of going off to university, college. Um, and then later on moving to New York, but I had a fantastic childhood, um, pretty sporty as a kid, uh, always interested in restaurants and all the rest of it. And obviously being in London, the epicenter of, you know, a fantastic time destination, um, sort of my interest for hospitality really started there. Yeah. So you, kind of geography based, but I'm curious, where did some of those aspirations come from, especially for like the dining point of view? Did you have any family background in that or what was that like? Absolutely not. My my father is in real estate. Um, my mother worked in a kid's bookstore. My sister worked at Google and my other sister worked for an Italian fashion company called Max Mara. Mm. So I was really the outlier going to work in restaurants um but just you know as i said growing growing up in london having you know the opportunity and being lucky enough to visit some of the incredible restaurants um in london was i think sort of where it stemmed from yeah so i saw you ended up studying in london as well and kind of staying in that region um where did you go to school and then what did you end up studying so I went to school for international hospitality management and events um and that sort of started with the reason for that when I was 16, I went to do work experience after we finished sort of our exams, we had to do work experience for two weeks at school mm. and everyone was going off to the banks and real estate companies and all the rest of it. And I'm like, I can't go and sit behind a desk and go do an office job. So yeah. uh, my parents had a friend who owns the number one sort of luxury event company uh in london that actually specifies in kosher events mm. so they do all the big weddings and bar mitzvahs and they said why don't you go and try that so i said okay so yeah off i went for my two weeks stint of work experience looking at some hundreds of thousands of pound weddings and bar mitzvahs that were taking place and i thought wow this is this is pretty interesting and i'm it's glamorous and you get to go to all these amazing events and hospitality is this glamorous, uh, you know, business. And at the end of the two weeks, he offered me uh, a job as a bartender at his events on Sundays. Um, mm. And I did that for 
uh, about three years. And when it got to applying for college, the way in England, you have to apply to the course rather than the college. So you apply, you have to decide what your major is mm. before you actually get to college, which is pretty difficult for a kid of 16, 17, 18 years old to have to decide what their future is going to be yeah. rather yeah. than getting to uh, school and then having a year to decide where, what you want to do. And one of my sisters had done uh, management with French and the other one had done Italian and business. Mm. So I said to myself, okay, well, I'll take a mix of the two and I'll go and do French with management. And Tony Page, who was the owner of this company, sort of became a mentor to me and asked me, he said, what are you going to go study university? I said, well, I'm going to just go do French and management. He said, why? Mm. So what do you want to do? I said, oh, I want to take over your business. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, why don't you go and study hospitality? And he said, there's a great, the greatest place in the UK to do it is the Oxford Brooks. Um, it's pretty hard to get into. It's competitive, but I think you have a good shot. I think you should go for it. Mm. Uh, and I did. And I sort of listened to him and sort of broke it down in my head. I was like, okay, well, I know that I never want to go and do an office job. Yeah. Why not study the field that I actually want to get into? Um, so I ended up at Oxford Brooks. Um, the reason for sort of going to Oxford Brooks is they did an incredible program. In your second year, you had to go work for a year mm. uh, in the industry. And they did an incredible program with a hotel uh, in Boston um, called the Fairmont Copley Plaza. And... I really wanted to get onto that course. There were two spots on it yeah. for 350 kids in the class. And I ended up getting into the final two, 250 wow. kids. Um, but unfortunately, I had some health issues at the time that came up, which didn't allow me to travel. Mm. Um, America and the US had always been an aspiration of mine from an early age. Um, and I wanted to do everything I could to get to the US. Yeah. Um, so that's really sort of how I got to study hospitality. Um, definitely one of the best decisions I ever made. It definitely sort of set me up for success. Um, I am, obviously didn't go to Boston, but I ended up at the Dorchester Hotel in London, which is probably one of the top two hotels in London. Yeah. Um, so really a blessing in disguise. Um, ended up sort of transferring to a university in London so I could graduate quicker. School growing up for me was never my strong point. Uh, yeah. I never sort of applied myself to schoolwork. Um, but I always knew that I had this burning sensation inside of me to really do something special and on my own. And um, hospitality was it for me. Yeah. So starting out your career, this first hotel job, kind of what do those roles look like for the listeners out there? Once you kind of get out of school like what where do, where do you put your feet in that in that spot so really it depends on the place that you go but yeah a lot of hospitality businesses hotels restaurants country clubs whatever it is will have a rotational program for students that have to do this sandwich year it's called mm. in the industry um but you really have to start somewhere and that somewhere is really from the bottom yeah um, and I was fortunate enough to work in the Alan Ducasse restaurant, 
um, which was a three mission star restaurant. So my first, wow. my first experience in a restaurant was in a three mission star restaurant, polishing silverware and cutlery for three months. Wow. Uh, and they would tell me off for the way I walked. They would tell me off for the way, uh, the level of tone that I spoke in my voice when I got to the table. They told me that my hair wasn't down. They told me that, uh, you know, you name it, they were trying to bash you down as much as they could to make to build yeah. you up um, and wouldn't even allow me to speak at the table. You know, my job was really to polish the silverware and the cutlery that was coming out of the dishwasher and carry the trays of food, not allowed to actually put the food on the table, but carry the tray of food to the waiter for them to then put it on the table. Interesting. And, you know, I think at the time I was earning 11,000 pounds a year. So call it fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year yeah. for 90 hour weeks. Wow. And <laughs> I remember having to get the, the night bus to work at 4.30 in the morning to get there for breakfast time. Um, and, you know, I was going to work when my friends were coming home from uh, their Saturday nights out. Yeah. On Sunday morning and everything else like that. Um, so, you know, you really do start at the bottom, but in any business, you have to start at the bottom in order yeah. to get to the top. So, exactly. So I'd love to hear kind of in this timeline. So starting in this position here, where, where does this evolve to? Do you go to a new location? You eventually make it to the States. Eventually, we can get into that. But where does this evolve to from your career? So we had to complete a certain amount of hours in order to progress to our third year of, uni of university. And I had managed to complete those hours within six months instead of 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, because of the hours that I was working, uh, you know, the Dorchester. And as I said, I managed to transfer universities to the University in London, carry on with my course and graduate a semester early. Mm -hmm. And straight out of college, I, I sort of started cold emailing every restaurant group and hospitality group that I wanted to work for. Mm. Um, and I always thought to myself, I want to do events. And the reason I wanted to do events is because the immature James thought events are really glamorous and you only actually really have to work on the nights that you have events. So you can still have some work-life balance. Yeah. And so I was applying for events roles and those types of sort of roles within the hospitality industry. And landed upon actually a concierge role for Caprice Holdings, which is Richard Karen's company in London. Mm. Richard owns restaurants like Scott's and clubs like Annabelle's and Harry's Bar, yep. Sexy Fish. And there was an opening for a intern for a the concierge service that he has for all of his members of all the different members clubs to book people into restaurants and experiences within London and worldwide. Mm -hmm. And I went for the interview for an internship and they offered me a job on the spot, which was great. And wow. it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be just answering a phone and making people's reservations. But I knew yeah. it was my foot into the door of an incredible, the top restaurant group and hospitality group in the in the country. Yeah. Um, so off I went to my first day of work and 
did the whole concierge thing for about a year and a half. Moved into sort of, you know, after six months, I was telling them, I want to move into events. I want to move into the event. I want to move into the event side of the business. And um, I finally, after about a year and a half, they were like, okay, we actually do have an opening for the events business. Yeah. Uh, and it was working in the, all of the private members club called the Burley Group working on their events and members events and then they also have a outsourced private events company as well mm -hmm. and i thought wow this is it this is you know this is the job that i've been waiting for and i started doing it and it, it wasn't what i thought it was going to be <laughs> and after a couple of months probably six months the ceo of the company came to me and she said james we really need a, a system maitre d at scott's and Scott's is one of the top restaurants in London. Yep. And I said, that's nice for you. And she said, what do you think? And I said, well, it sounds great, but I don't think I really want to give up my life and start working restaurant hours. And she said, James, I'm going to be real with you. You need to grow up. This will be the best decision you ever make. And you will be incredible at it. Mm. She said, go and sit with the restaurant team. Go and understand the schedule. And let's talk after you've sort of gone in and shadowed them for a bit yeah. so if i go to this restaurant that you know i would had always wanted to go to as a kid growing up and had you know the opportunity to go to and i sat down with the team there and they showed me the schedule and i thought to myself you know what it's not that bad you know you you work three or four nights a week you get two days off together you know, it's a, uh, I might as well try it. What have I got to lose? Yeah. And she was a hundred percent right. It was the best decision I ever made for my career. Mm. I loved it from day one. I quickly progressed to, uh, from a system maitre d' to maitre d', then to head maitre d'. And then I sort of started to see that restaurants were really, what I wanted to do and what far greater I, I found far greater enjoyment from them than events you know yeah. with an event you have it's all you put 110 percent in for four to six hours of an event whereas yeah. the restaurant business is really building something special but also having to stay consistent yeah um and that's really you know what I what I loved about the business um you were able the guest interaction on a daily basis and an hourly basis and how every day is different you know was really what i enjoyed from the business for sure um and the opportunity sort of after two years of working there uh our general manager left the restaurant and that sort of opened up some some space on the management team wow um our assistant general manager moved up to general manager so sort of the restaurant manager position became available and I had, you know, very, no experience in managing at the time. Yeah. I was 23 and there had been people at the restaurant that had been there for 10, 15 years even who also all wanted this job. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, one day I want to have my own restaurant. I want to have my own business. I need to understand 
the back of house, the front of house, every different aspect of the restaurant, I have to understand if I want to have my own restaurant. Yeah. But I also knew that I was moving, if I was to get the job, I was very well respected in the restaurant because I had worked very hard for two or three years mm-hmm. and I was going to lose all respect overnight because of people who say he's got no experience in managing, he's young, he's this, that. Yeah. Um, and that happened. And, you know, I managed to convince the management team that I was the right candidate. And I took this management position and started the bottom all over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that involves spending time, you know, in the kitchen, understanding how the kitchen operates. Yep. And really honing in on skills that I had never touched before. Yeah. Um, but it was an integral part of sort of my transition in my career to, you know, moving up. For sure. And sort of a, about a year or so later, the owners of Major Food Group from New York uh, walked into the restaurant one day. It was a Sunday night, and I remember it because Sunday and Monday nights were always my favorite nights in the, of the week to work. And most people would be like, why do you like working Sunday and Monday nights? Yeah. And the reason is people that can afford to go out to a restaurant like Scott's yeah. go out on a Sunday and a Monday night. Interesting. Uh, and I always used to say, you know, I could do 160 covers in the restaurant on a Sunday and make the same amount of money for the restaurant the, of doing 250 on a Saturday because mm. those types of people that are coming in on a Sunday to work to one of the most expensive restaurants in London. Yep. That's their money. Yep. Um, so they walk in one Sunday night and they are doing sort of a research and development trip for uh, the concept in New York that they were launching, a very big concept. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, we've been having three lunches, three breakfasts, three lunches, and three dinners every single day on this trip. And this is our final stop. And, you know, we got talking and I said, you know, I really want to move to New York. And they said, well, we should, we should speak. And um, I ended up coming to New York for actually to visit my sister because she just moved to New York um, with her job. And we sat down and I, you know, they said, well, we've got this project we're working on. It's a big opening. It's in a restaurant called, it was the Four Seasons. And we're launching sort of our own concept. And I'd heard of the Four Seasons, the restaurant, a lot of people confuse it with the hotel, etc. Yeah. And they, uh, I knew that it was a, you know, a great space, but I didn't know much more about that. And I knew some of their restaurants. I'd heard of Carbone. This is going back eight or nine years before Carbone is what it is today. Yep. And um, they said, we, we need a maitre d'. And I or an assistant HD. We've got this other guy who's coming in. He's a slightly older gentleman, but we need like a young person like you to come and do it. I said, "Great, just so you know, I haven't got a visa." And they said, "Well, well, we'll sponsor you. Let us know what it takes." Wow. So six months later, I moved to New York to come and open the grill and the pool as matron. And I get there and I tour the space. And I remember walking up the stairs of the grill. For the first time and it's so half a construction site and i remember thinking to myself what 
am I about to do here? I, and I knew it was going to be a big restaurant opening. I didn't quite grasp the magnitude yeah. of, you know, the history behind the restaurant and how special the space was. Yeah. And I knew as I walked up those steps that I was biting off more than I could chew. But that's <laughs> so it felt like. And um, I said to them, well, where's this other guy that is, I'm going to be working there. Oh, no, we decided it's just going to be you. You're, you're on my HD. You've got the English accent. That's all you need. Wow. <laughs> and, um, that's incredible. So from there, um, I opened the grill in the pool. And I spent some time at Carbone training, which, you know, was probably one of the most enjoyable six months I'll ever have in my career, sort of mm-hmm. working at probably one of the hottest restaurants in the world. Yeah. And sort of really becoming accustomed to the New York style of dining. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely, I was definitely shell-shocked how different the dining scenes are in the in the US versus the UK. Mm. And really how much people go out in New York compared to London. <laughs> sure. um, and you know, the amount of income that people use on, you know, their disposable income to, to go out to eat. Yep. Um, and sort of did that for a year and a half. And then unfortunately my visa expired and my next visa hadn't, uh, come through yet. So I had to leave for mm. nine months. Um, but it just so happened that they were opening, um, two restaurants in Tel Aviv inside of a hotel. Mm. Um, for A.B. Rosen, and I, they said, well, that's perfect. You can just go to Israel for us. Yeah. And I said, okay. <laughs> so off I went to Tel Aviv on my own. Um, wow. And I grew up going to Tel Aviv on vacation. I absolutely love it. But living there is very different to vacationing there. For sure. Um, and when I got there, the restaurants were a construction site and I stayed sort of to six months post opening and it was definitely the biggest challenge of my career up to date. Mm. Um, and that's when sort of the restaurant opening side of things really sort of took off for me. Yeah. And I fell in love with opening restaurants and the, you know, what you get out of them is or what you put into them is essentially what you get out of them at the end of the day. And it was yeah. like my drug. Like I just loved opening restaurants and people that was absolutely crazy because it definitely is the most stressful, <laughs> one of the most stressful, you know, uh, positions in, in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I ended up doing six restaurants, six restaurant openings for major food group in five years. Wow. Um, in New York and Israel back to New York. And then I moved down to Miami um during covid they asked okay. me to move down to my i was like absolutely get me out get me out of new york i was stuck in a studio apartment for the whole of covid <laughs> and you're still um, at the same company at this point i'm still still at major food group okay and um they asked me to come down to open zz's which was their private members club um mm-hmm. that they we launched sort of two years ago and um that was sort of my career with Major Fugu, but you know, it had got to the point where I had done, as I said, six restaurant openings in five years. Wow. Um, and I was really done doing, opening restaurants for someone else. And yeah. for many years, people were saying to me, when are you gonna do your own thing? When are you gonna do your own thing? And 
I always used to say, you know, there's never a right time to open a restaurant, but there could definitely there's definitely a wrong time. Yeah. Um, and obviously through COVID and the uncertainty of hospitality and dining and all the rest of it through COVID, that was definitely the wrong time. Yeah. But I saw so much opportunity sort of post COVID and especially in this Miami market where I still live today and never want to leave. Yep. Um, the opportunity for taking hospitality in Miami to the, to the next level. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to sort of take some investment for, from a few investors uh, to get myself set up, and I sort of fell in love with the site down here um, that I am in the process of launching my first restaurant and members club called Harbor Club, Incredible. which is in Sunset Harbor in Miami, um, which is opening March of 2024. Um, and at the same time, I sort of got involved with the Modern House Hotel uh, in New York. They were, there was a sort of struggling on the F&B side uh, with a few things. And I sort of came in to really relaunch and rebrand the restaurant um, to 23 grand in Soho. Mm. Um, and also oversee sort of the hotel side of things as well. Um, I vowed after working at the Dorchester to never work in hotels ever again. <laughs> and then off I went to Israel and now I'm a partner in uh, 23 grand at the Modern House um but and there we are so that's my wow. career history in, in a nutshell i hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far behind james's entrepreneurial journey i'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor tuxedos online tuxedos online is your go-to destination for dress wear including dress shirts pants formal shoes and of course top quality tuxedos at tuxedos online quality is their top priority each tuxedo undergoes an 18-point inspection, ensuring every detail is perfect, from cleanliness to individual buttons. But that's not all. They offer an incredible selection, featuring the latest name brand tuxedos and the largest collection of full black vests. And if you have a specific style in mind, they can get it for you. What sets tuxedos online apart is their impeccable value and fit. They carry slim, modern, and classic fit suits and tuxedos, and an incredible selection of accessories for different levels of formality. With over 20 sizes and about 30 colors, it is the one-stop shop. They have a 15-day no-question-asked return policy, so you're not stuck with anything you don't want. All shipped from Los Angeles to ensure a speedy delivery. And here's the best part. They offer a price guarantee. If you find the same tuxedo elsewhere for a lower price, they'll beat it by $5 per tuxedo. Tuxedos online where quality selection fit and affordability come together for a special occasion. Make sure to check them out at tuxedosonline.com or call to speak with one of their friendly representatives for a personal touch. That's tuxedosonline.com at 818-980-5480 and enjoy the rest of the episode. So with so much um, experience with like launching these uh, concepts, I'm curious, so you, you had success with launching and partnering with Modern House. Now, what is this launch in Miami going to look like? Say, what's a dining experience going to look like if a listener was to to attend, for example? So this Harbor Club is, is my baby. This yeah. is what I've been working towards for my whole life, my whole career. Everything has sort of led up to this moment for me. Um, I have a two-floor space uh, that's 8,500 square feet set over two floors equally. Uh, the bottom, the ground floor is a restaurant that will be open to the public. Uh, it's going to be Mediterranean. I hired one of the best chefs in Miami to partner with um, from a restaurant called Casatua, mm. also in Miami Beach. Um, and upstairs will be the membership club. So, and I also have a speakeasy as well. So, 
you envisage the public can enter the first floor, second floor is strictly members only, as well as the speakeasy, um, Mediterranean food on the ground floor, Japanese food mm. in the members club. Um, and to me, you know, members club, growing up in London where members clubs are ingrained in us from an early age, um, should really be an extension of your own home. And I really want to bring the English style of private members club to Miami. Yeah. You know, members clubs have been popping up all over the US in the last couple of years. And there's definitely sort of a demand and an appetite for them, especially in Miami with everyone that's moved down here. Um, but it should be somewhere that really is an extension of your own home that you can come and just have a salad and a martini up at the bar mm. on a Monday because you can't be bothered to cook. But if you want to come with friends on the weekend and you want to show off the space to your friends, you can certainly do that as well. So the menu will definitely lend itself uh, to all occasions in the in the Mediterranean restaurant downstairs. And then upstairs, the members club, you know, will be more refined. Um, don't want to give away too much when it comes For to sure. the, the club as, you know, it is a private membership club. Yeah. But, Absolutely. You know, all things luxury, focusing on old world service. Um, and, you know, it's in a fantastic neighborhood called Sunset Harbor in Miami, which is close to where a lot of people live and a lot of the New Yorkers that have moved down are, and are used to a certain level of service yeah. um, live. And that's, you know, that's the, the void I'm trying to fill void i'm trying to fill here in miami and try to bring some english sophistication to miami as well if that's possible incredible i love it for the listeners out there um, launching so many restaurants so far what does like building a menu look like from a business standpoint of you bringing in like different ethnicities um to the menu what does building that menu look like especially from your point of view it's certainly eating a lot uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no so you know it really depends where. So you you got to look at the market. And, mm -hmm. you know, takes me back to when I opened the two restaurants in Tel Aviv. We opened sort of a, an Italian-American uh, restaurant yeah. in the beginning stages. And it was very quickly apparent that that wasn't palatable to Israelis. Israelis are very healthy. They like olive oil. They don't like butter and cheese and all the rest of it. Um, so we really had to adapt sort of the menu to, uh, you know, cater for our guests. Yeah. Um, and that taught me a huge lesson. It was like, when you take a restaurant space, depending on where you are geographically, you really do have to cater to those around you. Yeah. Of course, some restaurants will do well anywhere because they have brand names behind them. And, you know, but when it comes to, an area like Sunset Harbor, I look at it, okay, what are the types of uses that people are going to use it for? Are people going to be coming for lunch? Is it, is it going to be more predominantly dinner? Yeah. Is it going to be casual? Is it going to be upscale? Um, there's so many different factors that come into the curation of the menu. Um, but at the end of the day in hospitality, you're really giving people what they want. And to me, the gastronomy side has never been the part that, has fascinated me. It's really been the customer, you know, anticipating guest needs before they even know what they want. Yeah. Um, so really curating the menu is to, to give people what they want and maybe giving them a dish that they've had multiple times, but giving them that best, the best possible version of that dish. Mm. Um, not trying to do anything that people haven't done before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, really giving them, you know, the best experience 
because um, you can have a great menu, but your restaurant needs to be memorable. And I always say we're in the we're in the business of creating experiences, and the reason mm. people come back to restaurants time and time again is because of the experience they've had there, not just the food that they've eaten. Yeah. So there's a to me there's a lot more that just goes into it than menu curation. Yeah. Now I know this might be kind of broad, but I would love to dive into the psychology behind that. Like what, what are some of those experiences? I know sometimes just the way the behavior of the staff or what is that? I think service has a lot to do with it. You know, there's a interaction with staff when it comes to a restaurant, you know, if you, if a waiter just, or a waitress just comes up to you and says, what can I get for you? And then takes your order and then walks off, you know, are you going to remember that experience? Mm. Definitely not. But if you have someone come up to the table really explain the menu to you, guide you through the menu, and really tell you how to dine in the restaurant, that's yeah. what's going to create the experience. You, I, when I've trained all of my teams, I'm forever telling them, you know, it's up to us to educate guests how to dine in this restaurant. And if a waiter comes up to you and says to you with enough confidence how this experience is going to go, your guests are going to buy into that. Yeah. And that, to me, is the difference between, you know, just ordering and being told how to order. For sure. And that's, you know, how the experience in my eyes is created. Yeah, absolutely. Well, James, I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? For me, I think, learning every aspect of the business. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't polished silverware, if I hadn't been in the kitchen being burned by the heat that was coming off the fire, uh, you know, of the grill and doing a wine course and all of the intricacies of the industry that, you know, I learned over the last 16, 17, 18 years of my career. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today. And how can I expect my team to do something that I don't know how to do and how can I analyze parts of the business if I haven't done them along my career so anyone yep. that's setting up their business to me the advice is you know you really have to learn every different aspect of the business in order to formulate your own opinions and make you know executive decisions when you get to the higher level mm, for sure well James, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check more of uh, our house out in the description. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.